If you turn to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you and have an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled. Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. It since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today, saying, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Well, gone are the days of Saturday morning newspapers with color sections of cartoons. Many of us grew up waiting for our turn to read the cartoons Saturday morning. My older siblings were first, and finally it would be my turn. And I always turned first in the cartoons to the family circle. The family circle. It was just a one-panel cartoon. Remember, it was round, and it would tell you about Dolly and Jeffy and PJ and Billy and their parents in some humorous way, what's going on in their life. You know, those four kids, Billy, Dolly, Jeffy, and PJ, they never aged for 70 years. Didn't take one step forward in their age. Every family has a circle. And to be in that circle means your family. Verse 1 really draws that immediately to our attention. He says, therefore, holy brothers. Those who are in the circle, you see, are, are holy brothers. That speaks to our behavior as Christ's children. And we share, he says, in a heavenly calling. Not only are we holy, but we share in a heavenly calling. This speaks to our mission. There's an expected mission we have, expected behavior we have, and we are made family by a common confession of faith. He says, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Our confession. Our statement of faith, our belief. And so he's really immediately presented with us with expected behaviors and expected belief system that we are to adhere to and a an expected mission that we are to undertake the one who is sent here jesus the apostle he's described one who is sent by god and he returned to heaven to be our heavenly high priest having completed his intercession for us at the cross and he intercedes for us now in prayer. In the fullness of his 
earthly mission is detailed here, who he was, who he is, what he was sent to do, what he did, what he continues to do, all here, the apostle, high priest of our confession, the one who was sent by the Father, the incarnation, and the one who intercedes for us now at the right hand of God. And we are part of his family circle. It is an exclusive circle, just as it is in your family. It's exclusive. It must exclude some from it who will not follow the expected behavior that God has, will not believe the expected beliefs that God has set for us, that will not take up the mission that he has charged us with. The family circle of God is exclusive. And this exclusivity frustrates the world, doesn't it? It is ironic in so many ways because they don't want anything to do with God. And yet they get upset at the exclusivity of his family circle. It, it, they want Jesus without beliefs, without expected behaviors, without holiness, you see, without mission, without his blood shed for us. That's not Christianity. Christianity has very definite borders within which we behave and we believe and we fulfill our heavenly calling. And so he says, consider Jesus. That is to reflect on him, literally to ruminate on him as, as a cow might ruminate or give your full attention to. In particular, we're drawn to his faithfulness. Verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him. The faithfulness of Jesus Christ will be much in view in the coming chapters. And the question is always out there, you see, it is left hanging. Will the people of God be faithful to him? You see, Jesus was faithful. Will we be faithful to him? And Moses is brought in, as you see. We, in former weeks, saw how he brought in angels to show that Jesus is far exalted above the angels. And now he picks Moses here and shows us how Jesus is so far beyond Moses. Moses um, is presented as part of a household of God. The metaphor here, the builder of the house and the builder of all things is God. And, 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 and within that house, Moses functions as a servant. But over that house, Christ, he says in verse 6, functions as a son. There's quite a difference. And, and for the Jewish person, M Moses was up here. There was no brighter light in the Old Testament than Moses. I mean, God, think of what God did. Moses is the most important intermediary in the Old Testament. God protected him as a baby, provided for his burial. Uh, miracle after miracle were accomplished during his time. He spoke with God, would read face to face. He led 
Israel out of Egypt. The law was given by Moses, Mount Sinai. The law and Moses became synonymous. They meant the same thing in the Jewish mind. That's how closely connected the word of God was to Moses. And to, Moses was given the plan for the tabernacle and, and the covenant of God. Moses was great, is what he's saying. Moses was wonderful, but Jesus has more glory than Moses. Look at verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses was faithful in God's household, God's house. He was faithful. But Jesus made the house. You know, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Jesus has more glory. And Jesus is the son of God. He rules the house. Verse 4 and 5. He says in verse 5, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Moses was in the house as a servant, but Jesus is the son. And all of this is not to lower Moses. It's not to degrade Moses in any way, but rather to recognize Moses' greatness before the Lord and then to argue that, that Jesus is so much more great than Moses was. That Jesus eclipses Moses, consider his faithfulness, who has more glory than Moses. He's the son of God. He rules the household of God, the, the family circle. The writer of Ephesians says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. <laughs> We're built together into a dwelling place, a, a household of faith. We are under construction as Christians. And the great architect is designing us. The carpenter continues to fashion us. The builder is forming us. And so he says in verse 6, hang on, he says at the end of verse 6. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Hold fast. Hang on, he says. You have Jesus. The household metaphor was so critical to ancient history. The family you belonged to was your, your badge of honor. The highest rating was given to the imperial household, Augustus Caesar at the time. He ruled the empire, of course, and vast peoples worked for him. Vast, vast numbers of slaves served him. His household it contained all the royal family and all those who worked for him and served him. It was this huge household. Paul would later write of, of uh, Caesar, probably Nero's household, and, and how he was given a voice into the household of Caesar with the gospel, the mission. So the, the honor of being part of Caesar's household 
was great. Or whatever high family you belong to, your badge of honor, what household you belong to. And look at what he says here. He says, if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope, our confidence, we are his house, he says. It's really, uh, really to say that you ought to be proud. You ought to be boasting about the household you belong to. The circle of God's family. The readers of this would have been most likely gathering in slave quarters, dark and dungy, perhaps some villa, room in a villa even, different places, small in number, huddled together to worship God and hear from God. And he's telling them, you ought to be proud of your family, of the household that you belong to. To boast of it. Consider the faithfulness of Jesus. And in his house, you have expected beliefs that you are to hold. In his house, you have expected behaviors you are to obey. In his house, you are to find rest in his house. And he goes in now in verse 7 and following. Really, he talks to us about beliefs. And he'll say in verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test. Today, he says, don't harden your hearts. He's quoting directly here from Psalm 95 in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And he gives us in that psalm a picture of the wilderness wanderings. And you remember how the spies went into the land, two of the spies said, let's go. The rest said no, and they held off. The nation held off, and, and, and God had them wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience. 40 years in the wilderness because they rejected belief in God. And in this passage where he begins with the Holy Spirit, he's really completing a Trinitarian, um, uh, a Trinitarian position on Revelation. Remember, he started off in the book of Hebrews about how in former days, you know, from God, we, we had the prophets. They spoke the word of God. Then he says that the son, we have the son in the last days. He's spoken to us by his son. And now we have the Holy Spirit saying today, if you hear his voice, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all involved in the revelation of, of God. And, and, and he'll speak about the wilderness wanderings. And you remember how they tempted God. They provoked God. They grieved God. They were given direction by God. They were given leadership and protection. They were given rest. They were given food and manna, quail. And at the very border of the promised land, the land of rest, the promised land, about two million people 
they turned away. And only two, the two people, two people would enter eventually. And, and what the Holy Spirit is really saying today, he's saying to the, to the Christian, you don't want to be like them. You don't want to do what they did. You don't want to think like they thought. You don't harden your heart against God. Make sure it is soft towards God. Make sure your heart is soft and tender towards his word. He says in verse 8, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test. Verse 10, therefore I was provoked with that generation. They always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. Don't be like them, the Holy Spirit is saying. Don't face the consequences that Israel faced in the wilderness. The issue here is an unbelieving heart, that hard heart. They're not, they're not believing God's word. They're not believing what God expected of them to believe. You know, out of the heart issues are the issues of life, Proverbs says to us. And here it's evil and unbelief. The word unbelief here, aphistomai, is transliterated into the English and we get the word apostasy, falling away, departing, departing from departure or repudiation of God's word. And so today, take care. You don't want to be like this. There is an expected beliefs that you are to hold because they're found in God's word as a Christian and they are expected. They are necessary. They're not optional. Who Jesus is, who the Father is, His Holy Spirit, who God is, who we are and our needs and our sins, our needs for a Savior and the cross where our redemption was accomplished and the resurrection and the hope that lies before us. And the, the fundamental truths of our faith, they're not optional. We don't get to pick and choose like a smorgasbord or a buffet. They are necessary. And so make sure your ears are not closed and your heart is kept tender because the world is saying a lot of stuff, particularly in the moral area. And the morality of the Bible, the morality and expectations of God, his behavior is under massive assault, as you know. And many, many Christians are now finding ways to agree with the culture. And their Christian faith absorbs the culture. And their heart is hardened towards the word. In fundamental ways, it begins typically in the moral arena where suddenly certain things and certain sexual things are, are allowed or acceptable. And little by little, 
a hardening and a wilderness lays before you. You know, God expects us to be maturing. R.C. Sproul says this, that we tend to present a God who wants us to look at ourselves. We're somewhat narcissistic, he says. Instead of looking at God, we tend to look at ourselves. And he said, there's nothing evangelicals like more than to be told that God loves them just the way they are. God doesn't love you just the way you are. He doesn't. He expects you to mature. He expects you to change. He expects you to go from being a babe in Christ to an adult in Christ. If you've been a Christian 30 years, and some of you have, have seen this probably, and Christians who have been Christian 30, 40 years, and, and you're just like, I can't believe they were a Christian that long, and they haven't wrestled this sin to death. They haven't, that their behavior is, is that this way after being a Christian this long. How can that be possible? It's like they're in year one instead of year 40. <laughs> Just like you mature in your own family circle. And you take on more and more responsibility. Something must go very wrong in some Christian lives. uh, Because they never grow up. There is a house of unbelief. But it's not God's house. There are countless households of atheists and pagans. And man created religious systems, but not one of them is God's household. As members of his household, we believe and we have a confession that he's given to us. And our intent is to be faithful to those beliefs because they are from his word and they are expected by those who are in his family circle. And so we'll guard our hearts, keep them soft and tender toward his revelation to us and to his beliefs that he's entrusted to us. And we'll seek to obey him. Verse 13 now, he takes us there to obedience. There's expected beliefs, but there's expected behavior. He says, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. He'll repeat that over and over, won't he? That none of you may be hardened by. Now he talks about the deceitfulness of sin. So there's a hardening that comes from unbelief. Not trusting God's word. But there's also a hardness that comes through sin. And you know yourself. If you're sinning in your life. You're probably not, not praying. You're probably not reading his word. You probably don't even want to go to church. When you're caught up in some sin. And because you, you want to get away from him. And you want to continue to sin. And to know, just like the prodigal. You, you know you have to leave the father's home to do that. You know, every, every household has rules. This is true in your own households. When you had kids, young kids at home. Some of you have that now. Every house determines the behavior that's expected and appropriate within that household. And some of it's passed on intrinsically, but others of it, 
is passed on very intentionally, isn't it? Because you might put on the fridge um, 12 rules of the house, 25 rules of the house. I think we had that on our fridge at one point with the kids who were young. Basic rules like forgiveness and repentance and clean your room and make your bed sort of thing. Every home has those sort of things. So, you know, we might have chore expectations. You've got to help with the chores. <laughs> um, you know, if I, when I was a young boy, if, if I saw my dad snow shoveling, uh, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I felt terribly guilty. I mean, there was two brothers and myself, and and we would do the snow shoveling. And if, if dad was out there doing it, it didn't mean it must have snowed a lot. It means we didn't do it. And I felt shame over that embarrassment. There's a home near, near ours. I don't know what to do. Maybe you can tell me because they, they tend not to shovel their driveway. And, and when I'm snowblowing, I, I, I typically do some of the senior homes. But this particular home, they have two teenage boys in it. And I'm like, do I really want to snowblow a home with teenage boys in it who aren't out there shoveling ever? <laughs> and so it's a tough, tough call, isn't it? There's expected behavior in the circle of God, in the family circle of God. And sin will harden our hearts, he's telling us. It will Turn us over to deceitfulness of sin. And he says to us to exhort one another every day. That is that we need each other. None of us are perfect. And, and we have blind spots. We need somebody to show us. We have sins that we need somebody compassionately, mercifully to, to, to draw our attention to. We need each other, he's saying, sort one another, because it's deceitful, sin's deceitful. It will deceive us, and it will harden our heart. Before you know it, you don't want anything to do with God anymore. And you turn your back on him. Every day is a fresh battle with sin. That's why he says, Paul, mortify the deeds of the flesh, that is today. Put them to death today. Every day is a fresh battle. All the way and every day to the day we die. And the wilderness, the wilderness collected many bodies. It's a terrible irony that the ones Moses led out of slavery are the ones who fell in the wilderness. He says in verse 17, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? We have these rhetorical questions blasted out here. Was it not with those who sinned, those whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so in his home, there is expected beliefs. Don't let your heart be hardened toward what he has revealed to us. There is expected behavior. Don't let your heart be given over to sin and disobedience. It will harden your heart toward him. And then he starts to speak about rest. And he'll go on for quite a bit in chapter 4 about rest. Look at verse 
3, he says, for we who have believed enter that rest, the rest of God, the promised land. In a way, the already, not yet, we already experienced Sabbath rest, but we have a great Sabbath rest coming as we go to the kingdom of God through, through death or through rapture. He says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should have seem to have failed to reach it. Hmm. His rest. You know, in the Old Testament, they heard God. They heard good news. It was preached. The promised land was before them, but they rejected it. And in rejecting it, they rejected God. We're left with a caution that we're in the household of faith. He says in verse 5, and again this passage, he says, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, saying, today. And David and Joshua, they, it, it wasn't completed. The, the, today is still available. The rest of God is still available. He says in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Don't withdraw. Don't abandon. Don't apostatize. Don't turn away. Don't go back on the very threshold of the promised land. Look what happened to them. They looked, of course, and they turned away. And only two of two million people entered the rest of God. You know, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that should be evident through what you believe, through how you behave, and through the rest that you enjoy and offer to others, the fullness of rest in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, you will not leave Christ. You will walk into the promised land on the day that you're called home. The family circle of God is made up of those who confess Jesus, who believe him, who behave as he would have us behave, and who declare him proud to be part of his family, proud of it, not embarrassed by it. The cartoon, <laughs> it was a cartoon uh, family circle, who remembers that? Pretty much anybody over the age of 59. <laughs> That's risky. Now some of you younger people remember it. The um, family circle wasn't actually called the family circle for very long. Somehow it got into our brains. The cartoon was started in the 1930s, but by the 1950s, they were under threat of a lawsuit because there was a magazine called The Family Circle 
And so they had to change the name of the cartoon. And it was changed to the family circus. The family circus. Wow. And you know what circuses are like. Sometimes family life can seem chaotic, you know, a little bit like a circus coming and going and three rings. Some churches seem to operate that way too, don't they? Pretty much like a circus. It's chaotic and it's changing and it's offering the world. Offering the world to those who want more of the world. And he's telling us now that they're turning away from the very thresholds. Verse 11 again of chapter four, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. When Charlene and I were converted to Jesus Christ, um, not long after we started looking for a church, there was one near where we lived. God protected us because we didn't know any Thing about churches and turned out this church was quite heretical. It was a Unitarian and uh, didn't understand the Trinity. But near where we shopped, the No Frills in Toronto, there was a church there and uh, we drove around for a few weeks. But eventually we parked and we got to the very threshold, the very threshold. Would we go in or would we turn away? Charlene just marched right down those steps, disappeared into the blackness and thought I'd lost her forever. It was a, I stopped at the threshold and there was a, a deacon there and he took me by the hand and welcomed me and he wouldn't let my hand go. He pulled me down those stairs and, and uh, I thank God for him. Mr. Campbell was his name. So we crossed that threshold. Oh, so many turn away. And he tells us the wonderful truths about the word, doesn't he, as he finishes. This is so familiar to us. The word of God is living, active, sharper, two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit. And what he's talking about there is that the, the word of God, the revelation of the logos, the word that we are not hard towards. It, it searches us out. It, it, it goes into places that are deep within us and mysterious to us, to the very joints and marrow, discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. Sometimes I can't even figure out what my intentions are, but the word of God knows it all. And no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom, to whom we must give account. Some turn away from the threshold. And others on the day of their death will be ushered into the promised land. The fullness of the kingdom of God. The fullness of rest. Because they believed God. And they behaved in a way that was holy and righteous. And 
They find rest for their souls. And so, we don't want a family circus. We want a family circle. And what we're saying is we're not changing. The winds are blowing. Tides are crashing on churches and storms are overhead. But we're not changing. We are in the family circle the household of faith, the household of God, the pillar and buttress of the truth, the church of the living God. We are living stones being built up as a spiritual house together to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Consider Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Jesus who is faithful, will you be faithful? Hold on and be proud of the family that you belong to, God's family. There is a body of truth and we believe it. There is a behavior that we strive for and there is a rest that we long for. Don't harden your hearts. Keep them tender and soft towards God his word hold your confidence in him and exhort one another as we see the day approaching encourage one another not to turn away would you pray with me heavenly father you are so good to us you have led us and, and like you led Israel and time passed and father we want to be faithful we of your circle your household of faith here at peoples we desire deeply to to hold true to your word let your word search out the very intentions and thoughts of our heart um, Steer us and guide us and direct us into that promised land that you have for us. Uh, bring repentance to what we need to repent of. Behaviors that need to be taken before you and, and laid at the cross. Beliefs that maybe we have given away tossed away. Perhaps there's some here who have become more like the world every day. Father, you know the heart of your children. May it be a holy heart here. May it be a heart of belief. May it be a heart that strives and looks for the rest and his promised glory, the new Jerusalem, our promised land. Thank you for the body of people's church in the midst of our struggles and our challenges and our relationships. Oh Lord, build us up as those spiritual stones. Yeah, you are the builder of all things. Build us. 
and ready us for whatever is coming. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.